how do we let go of what we don't have when we constantly see everyone else having it? It's very hard. More Wiser Podcast. Jill Shara Marie, Relationship Expert. So I've heard you say that letting go is all about taking risks, but most people are very risk averse. And do you think that if you went back thousands of years to the folks building the pyramids, were they as risk averse as we are today? Or is this something that society has really started to implant in us and being so self-aware and hyper-conscious of ourselves? Well, (laughs) that's quite a question. I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't imagine what they might, might've been feeling way back when. But what I do know is that we are all human beings. We've always been human beings and we're hardwired for safety. So I think just, you know, physiologically, um, I think we are risk averse. You know, we want to be safe. We want to be protected. And I don't think we consciously think about that when we're going through the process of being self-protective. I don't think we're thinking like, well, I am, you know, biologically wired for this. I think we beat ourselves up a lot for not taking risks. But I think probably back then, um, weren't, they weren't as sophisticated as we are. They were a lot more primal than we are. And I think they probably didn't they had risk, but they were also in survival spaces a lot more than I think, or differently than we are today. But but regardless of the situation, we're all humans and we're all hardwired biologically for safety. So that's what makes letting go so hard then is that you're fighting a primal instinct Completely. to let go of something. To- totally. It's like amongst many other things, of course, but there's the, there's the, um, instinct of self-protection because, you know, we have to be safe. I mean, if you think about, you know, even during COVID, like all of a sudden it was scary to go to the grocery store. And so everyone was very focused on how do I wipe down my groceries? How do I do all these things that at the time were not illogical, but looking back now, we may think, oh, that maybe that was a little extreme because we're hardwired for safety. And when we're in relationship, even though what we have isn't perfect, but we know it and we know how to survive in it and we know how to be safe in it. So we stay because the unknown is the unknown. Well, it's scary. It's scary. What if we can't take care of ourselves? What if we can't stay safe? What if it's more dangerous than what we have now? You know, the world is a, is a scary and dangerous place. <clears throat> Feels like getting more so. And so, you know, we have to constantly consciously make decisions about what we're willing to risk and what we're not willing to risk in order to stay safe. Cause that's our biology. And I think that's a great point. You know, when it comes to taking risks, I've read that people are more likely to play it safe if they're going to gain something, but if they're going to lose something, they'll risk much more. They'll put more uh, on the line. And I think with relationships, people do that a lot. You're not really quite sure what's out there. And so taking that leap of letting go is so hard because you, you honestly just don't know. I mean, you let go after 12 years in a relationship, you had no idea what you were stepping into. No. And I mean, really, if you think about it, Joe, like knowing is always an illusion. 
because we just don't know. Like there is no certainty. There is no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be doom and gloomy, but like the truth of the matter is, is none of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow or in 10 minutes. Like, you know, we hear stories all the time. Um, and so knowing or having that sense of security in a space, maybe where we know we shouldn't be, it's an illusion to think we'll always be safe there. We don't know what's coming down the pike or what might change that. So I think, um, but again, I think, you know, we're biologically hardwired for safety and to be in the moment. Some of us struggle with that. A lot of us do like looking so far ahead, but at the same time, right now we need to be safe. And so, um, I do think, you know, it takes people to be really uncomfortable before they will make, take certain risks. I know for me, I had gotten to a certain point where I had to calculate whether my fears, the danger I felt by leaving were outweighed the danger I felt by staying. When I say danger, I don't mean, um, that my partner was, you know, abusive or anything but lovely. The danger being that for me, it had become, oh my gosh, am I going to look back at my life and be, why didn't I do this? Or am I just going to sink deeper into sadness because I feel not seen or unfulfilled? Or am I going to feel more ashamed for myself because I know what the truth of this situation and I'm allowing myself to stay here because I'm afraid to be alone, to go out and get in another situation. Maybe that's worse to disappoint my family, to disappoint myself, like all of the things that we are afraid of that haven't yet happened that keep us where we are all under the guise of safety. And I think a lot of people are afraid of being alone. I I think you really have to be okay with being single before you can be with someone else because otherwise from what I've seen is people just, they assume someone else's personality. They'll take on, you know, their mannerisms, the way they dress, they, they become that person. And then it's almost like, if I leave you, who am I now? And they don't know. And it's scary. And, and that is the question that really is so in, insightful, Joe, because that really is such a big question, you know, and it's, you know, it's not just about, a relationship. It's about a job. It's about a friendship. It's about a family relationship. It's about, you know, the process of aging and how that changes us and how we have to start to kind of reconfigure who are we now because we're not static and things change all the time. Whether we choose to let them go or we choose that change or not, we're always having to adapt and find the next piece of our identity. And so, and that's very scary. That's incredibly scary. So if we can figure out a way to hold on to where we are now and be safe inside of that, even if it's not perfect, even if it's not giving us everything we want, in many ways, for a lot of people who don't have the ground under their feet, which is what, as you know, what I call big wild love, it's a much more preferable option for them um, than venturing forward. 
It's a safe choice. How often do you have those introspective looks, Jill, at yourself where there's no walls, it's scary, it's, you know. Every day. Just you and you. Oh, every day you're having those. Every single day I have those thoughts. You know, I, I mean, I think a lot of us do, you know, especially as we go through the aging process, especially as we start to look back at our lives and think, did I do the things I wanted to do? Was I true to myself and who I am? Is it okay if I've changed and I don't want the same things that I wanted before? And I, I think this has become very um, heightened, in my opinion, since COVID, because, you know, COVID really put us all to the line. We lost a lot of stuff. We lost people. We lost dreams. We lost opportunities. Many of us did. And we were really forced to the mirror. And, and I think for a lot of people, they started to ask those questions. And I think once you start asking those questions, you really don't ever stop. I, I don't know how you could stop. I mean, I don't, I don't say that I ask those questions every day from a place of angst or turmoil, but rather from a place of, you know, I want to do what counts. And not just by someone else's rules, but now by my own rules. Am I being true to myself? Is this okay? As I'm getting older, I'm not the person I was when I was younger. Like I think I told you in our first call, you know, now I have this dry eye thing that I never had and I can't wear makeup, which is like, doesn't seem like a huge deal, except that when you're a woman who spent her whole life, like most women, you know, liking makeup and clothes and all those things. And all of a sudden you're, this thing is taken away from you that you placed a high value on. It forces you to another question. Can I let go of this person who, you know, was younger and freely threw on gobs of eye makeup and now has to be this, you know, and how does that shore up against my beliefs and my own perceptions of aging and older women and how they should look and who they should be and where they should be comfortable in their skin. And so I think, you know, that piece of it has me always asking the questions, you know, watching my parents get older or thinking about who I am inside of, you know, career as I get older, thinking about who I am inside of my marriage as we get older together. So... Yeah, I think a lot of people associate themselves with their careers or their job title. And I mean, it's scary to let go of a job and we'll get to that. But you mentioned aging and the societal new norms, which are somewhat toxic, I would say, and what they uh, put out there that people should adhere to. How do you... How do you handle getting older, Jill? Because I'm obviously a man, but even I see, you know, there are certain, you know, ways you're supposed to age or things you should adhere to. And it's hard to go against the grain sometimes and really go, no, this is who I want to be. I'm going to put all that stuff aside. How do you handle that? Well, I think, um, making notes to myself because I have so many thoughts about that. Um, first of all, I remind myself that we're all on our own path. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to grow older like anyone else. It's going to be, it's my road. These are my choices to decide what I, where and how I place value on myself and how I see my life and 
really the gift of getting older. So not having the expectation that I need to be that 20, 30 something, even 40 something, you know, that I was so lucky to have that time that that is a moment in time. We all have our moment. And so is this. So one day I'm going to look back on this time and be like, did I feel angst? Did I feel sad? Did I, was I all, did I embrace that moment? You know, it's so interesting because I have parents who are in their eighties and, you know, they have some things they're in their eighties. And I say, but this is still your life. You're still here. So be here, be present in this moment and embrace it. And I, I really do give myself that message in those moments when I'm like, Oh my God, how, (laughs) how is this happening? Which we all know what's going to happen. You know, the other thing I will say is I really walk my talk, Joe. So like I wrote a whole book called big wild love, which is really about having love with yourself before you can have love with another person. It's so funny because people think big wild love is about finding love with another person and in a secondarily tangential way. Sure. But the most important thing is having that, that love and acceptance and care for yourself. And I continue to mine that because that really helps too, as you move forward with aging process and things change and you have to deal with, you know, dry eye or worse. And you have to kind of come to peace with the fact that you are a mortal, but you can be grounded in all of the amazing things that you are and the gifts of this aging and, and all the things that you have in your life. So having that grounding under your feet helps. And I will tell you this story that a friend of mine told me a while ago when I turned 50 and I was a little freaked out about that. And I never get freaked out about, never really got freaked out about it, but that kind of freaked me out. And I thought, Oh my God, I'm old now. And she was like, no, no, there is a, I don't know if it's a fable or something that basically says when you are, before you turn 50, you are a princess. So your job is to worry about princessly things. How do I look? What does the world think of me? Um, how do I step out in the, in, into the world? Um, what are all the external things in my life and how do they validate me? But once you turn 50, you're not a princess anymore. Now you're a queen. And your job as a queen is to just forget about all that. It doesn't matter what's happening externally. Now it's all about internally. And how do you shine your light and your wisdom out into the world? And I love that so much because I don't want to be a princess anymore. I don't. I like being a queen. It sounds exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) How do you... Well, then would the goal be to be a queen status earlier in life? Like the quicker you can get to that, the better. So you're not, you know, so, you know, um, concerned with what the rest of the world is telling you you should be. Is that the goal? I I mean, I think generally that's a good way to go. I also think if you are not a princess, you can't learn the lessons you need to be a queen. Ah, Sage advice. So we, we all, you know, and listen, there's nothing, there's no perfection associated with each one of those things. But I think, you know, again, a moment in time, we need to learn, we need to feel and be all of those things. Um, 
And we need to understand how to move through the various identities we will have in our life so that as we get older and we get to harder places where we have to really let go of what was our youth, our capabilities, our whatever else we've lost along with that, which varies for everybody, you know, loved ones, um, maybe it's beauty, um, faculty, whatever that is. We know how to navigate that and we know how and who to be inside of that because we've been through all of that, those shifts. We know how to do it now. You really do have to struggle through it. You, you can't bestow that, those life lessons onto someone else, which I want to ask do. you when you see someone struggling to let go, how do you approach that? Because it's a very, I mean, some topics are much more sensitive than others right? An abusive relationship versus a stalled one is very different. But when you see someone who's spiraling or fixating and they're in a rut, how do you approach those conversations with them? Well, they really have to approach that conversation with me. So I can't, you know, it's not, it's not my job to counsel someone who doesn't want or or give an opinion even to someone who doesn't want to you know, hear it. So I'm always happy to give my thoughts if they ask me for my advice. You know, I'm happy to say, um, you know, why, why do you think that is? Or, you know, what is your goal? What is your dream? What is your vision here? What, what is the end goal here? And if you're here and this is the end goal, how do you get to that end goal? With no judgment, who's, you know, it's not a space to judge, but I will tell you, Joe, that many years ago, when um, when a friend of mine was dying, and I didn't know what to say to him, I asked a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, who is a was a hospice nurse. I said, "I, I don't know what to say. Tell me what to say to this person because I don't know." And she gave me the most incredible advice I will never forget in my whole life, and I literally use it to deal with every single person in my world, and it is. You be where they are. You meet them where they are. So if he is feeling hopeful and, and excited and, and happy, that's where you are. And if he's feeling sad and depressed and scared, that's where you are with him. So, you know, if someone wants my opinion, I'm always happy to give it because I am not a wallflower. And yes, my friends would say, uh, really? Do you wait for us? Sometimes no, with my close friends, I just tell them what I think. But for the most part, you know, if someone is coming to me and saying, how do I let go of this? I will often put them, as I do for myself, into my process that I wrote about, which has, I mean, holds up beautifully for me. And when I talk to other people um, who are going through things, It's just a very intuitive way. And sometimes even my husband will say to me, like, can you get in there? Can you get in that process? Because I can't hear about it anymore. And he's like, and he's right. He's always right because it, it really takes you through all those things. So I will ask them, is this, is this an, are you having a revelation about your situation? That's really hard. And, and that's where you're struggling and you're stuck because that's okay. You need space for that. So take that space, take that time. Think about, think about all the feelings you have about this new understanding that you may have about your situation, that it's not going the way you had hoped. So 
How do you feel about that? Like be in that space for a time, but not forever. You know, at a, there's at a certain point you have to pull yourself out of it and then move on to, okay, so what do you want? Which is a very hard question. It's so a hard. very hard question. Very few people, I think, know what they actually want. One in 100 based on my research. Wow. One percent. It's not many. One percent. <laughs> That's not- right. Wow. Because, because if you think about it, we don't wake up in the morning and say, what do I want? No, it's you get to the grind. Yeah. Got to go to you work. Get, or- you get to the grind, yeah. which is kind of goes back to my whole, the whole question around, you know, identity. And as you age, because you ask that question much more often than you ever did. Because you realize that nothing is guaranteed. So you do get up and say, what do I want? Is this life what I want? If it's not, I better, I better get to it. Right. <laughs> because, I better do something. Know, I better get to it. The goal is not to wait for that. If, if you are younger and you're, you know, in your twenties and your thirties, your forties, whatever, I'm, it's never too late to change. It's never too late to do the things. Um, but it's nice to be that kind of a person that is able to recognize this is not suiting me. I don't want to be here. So I may wake up one day in my relationship or in my job or anywhere and say, whoa, this is not for me anymore. And instead of being afraid of changing or doing the work required to change, it's allowing yourself that space to be in that revelation. Do you think there are certain types of brains that are better at change than others? Some people are highly analytical and then there's some who are very emotional. And in your experience, who has it easier to let go of something? Well, that's like, that kind of goes to like all the personality tests, right? Like the Myers-Briggs and the like, are you most averse to change? Are you, you know, what's your, what's your Zodiac sign? What's your, you know what I mean? Like, I think change is hard for everybody. I think some of us have more tolerance for, for lack of a better word, pain than others, um, for, you know, being in something that doesn't feel right for them. And I think some of us, like, I love change. Like, I'm a person who loves change. That's rare. I love, it's rare. I don't know, maybe it isn't. I mean, I like to live in a new house. I like to get a new car. I like to change my jobs. I like to move. I mean, I've always liked change. Now, as I'm getting older, after COVID, do I feel the same way about that? I don't know, because there's also something really nice to be in something familiar, but my familiar is a happy space. So I don't feel like, Oh, you know, um, I got to get out of here or this is not serving me anymore. But if I did, if I did, and I have had situations in my life, in my recent life where I have felt, gosh, I don't know if this is something for me. I don't, I don't know if this is for me. I'm really feeling, I'm really struggling. And and what I do in that situation, Joe, is, I, you know, let, letting go takes time. It's not like you decide, I don't like this anymore, or this isn't right for me, or this person isn't right for me, or this friendship is no longer right for me, or just the way I feel in my body or feel about myself or whatever isn't right for me. It's not like you wake up the next day and let it go. It does not work that way. It just doesn't. And I think 
people who beat themselves up for not letting go, they need to understand that. It took me a year door to door to decide that my relationship was wrong for me and what to do about it to get out. Because I'm not racing from one life choice to the next. I need time to process that knowledge and to identify why I got there in the first place. And what are the limiting beliefs and fears that took me there and are keeping me there? And how do I override them so I don't make the same choice the next time? And, and not to mention, I need time to feel my grief around the loss of what I'd hoped for or what I thought I had or who I thought I was. So I need to process all of that and then make a plan, do the work of figuring out if this isn't what I want, what do I want? Because if I don't figure out what do I want, I am right back in what I don't want. So you let go of something, but there's this period of gray space before you start pursuing what you want next. And I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about letting go, they go, okay, I'm going to let go. And then I have to instantly get into another relationship. I'm going to instantly go back on dating apps. And it's like, no, you should really understand what you want first, set the compass and move forward. But again, like you said, it's very hard to identify what comes next, you know, or, um, just being okay with going through the grieving process. Like you said, losing a friend or a loved one, it's easier to put it off and it's easier to just start anew. But I think you really have to sit in it for a while, as you're saying, before you can really move on. That's where the magic happens. That's where all the magic happens in that dark, you know, I write about in my book, the, the tunnel of pain, all the dark, the dark aloneness where you get to just be with yourself and the fears and the beliefs and the things that just are not getting you where you want to go. You, you've got to understand them. It's like I always say, you know, your subconscious beliefs drives the bus. So if you consciously say, I want a relationship, I want marriage and family, but subconscious, your subconscious is like, mm, but you have had relationships and they've been really sucky. So, um, and, and they've been long and really painful. So, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put a top on that. And so we're going to make sure we're going to tell you to choose people that will never give you that thing you really want. So you don't have anything to lose ever again. And that will be painful. So if you don't shore up that subconscious belief with that conscious desire, forget it. You're, you're, you're just going to keep making the same mistakes. You're going to gravitate to the unavailable because your subconscious is trying to keep you safe. It's all about trying to keep us ourselves safe. And, and on keeping safe, one of the scenarios I want to talk to you about is with parents. Because I've noticed, uh, as I've now grown older and I have friends who are also having children, so I see it from both ends of the spectrum, l letting go of the large amount of input you have in, a, in your kids' lives is hard to do. And I... I want to get your opinion on if you have parents who are dead set on still inserting their uh, opinions or they, they really have these expectations placed on someone, how do you break free from that? How do you let go of that? But they're still a family member, so you can't just let them go. It's a very nuanced topic, the family dynamic and letting things go. Well, that's a, that's a lifelong journey. I mean, truly, it is a lifelong journey. Um, I think 
you know, you have to learn how to, again, I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep saying it. Like I'm not trying to promote it. It's an idea that, that is a grounding idea of big wild love, which is understanding and being secure in who you are and what you believe and understanding that people, including our parents can have input, but ultimately we get to decide. And so there can be a loving exchange around that. Like I write in my book about how, when I was growing up, my mother was hard on me. She was hard on me. She was a very, very loving mother, but she was hard on me around my weight and my body image. And I think that's a very common issue for a lot of women. And, um, I remember one time saying to her as I had grown up, you know, when she was, when she was delivering her thoughts about something that I was doing, wearing, eating, thinking, saying, saying to her, I understand. How about you be you and I'll be me. And she just kind of looked at me and she was like, what do you say to that? I mean, there's really, you know, I said it in a very loving way. I don't, I, I understand that she has her own issues, but I, they don't, I don't have to choose them as mine. Now I, I'm not saying that that's easy or that there aren't times when we'll be together about this and I will come home and feel bad about it or revert back to those feelings when I was a kid of feeling like, unloved or imperfect, or there was something non-lovable about me. And that's when I have to go very intentionally into my work of big wild love to remember, I don't have to meet her standard of anything really. And I can still love her. I can still find her to be a loving, caring parent, which she is, but I don't have to agree with everything. And I don't have to feel bad about what she, not conforming to what she thinks is right. And once you figure that out, it becomes easier to deal with other people that way. Because the way that we engage with our parents really is the way that we engage with the outside world. So if we have issues with one parent and we don't work to resolve that by getting grounded in who we are and feeling happy and secure inside of who we are and embracing who we are, then we are going to go back out into the world and choose that person, that same personality, bring them into our lives because we're trying to work it out. We're trying to work it out. Interesting. Like when you hear about someone marrying someone just like their parent, um, the same personalities or, you know, anything about it. I had never understood why that happens, but it makes so much sense now that you haven't dealt with that relationship. Trying to work it out. We're just always trying to work it out. And it's not, it, this is not a criticism. It's not a shortcoming coming. It is biology. These are our parents. You know, we always want their love and approval. I mean, my parents are, my mom's 85. My dad is 89. I still want their love and approval. And there are times when I do have to sometimes with attention say, no, it's okay. You're a grown woman now. That's okay. And if they don't approve, that doesn't mean they don't love. The approval part I think is huge. And I think it piggybacks into social media a lot. We, we desperately want the approval of other people constantly. Social media. 
is is social media the worst thing you can do for just in general having the ability to let go of things? Yeah, I think social media is like, I mean, I think social media is in many ways the downfall of us. I, I'm not... I, I love social media. Okay. There's a lot of great things about social media. I love being able to keep in touch with my friends. I love being able to connect with people from, you know, days gone by, see how they're doing. I love to see all the faces and all of the, you know, the connection, especially being so disconnected after COVID, being remote, working remotely, you know, not being able to see, be together. That's one side of it. The other side of it is it is so easy to look sideways. And to see what other people are doing and what they're having and to forget that they are presenting a very curated picture of their lives on social. And then at the end of the day, we are all human beings having the same shared experience. Nobody's life is perfect. And, you know, it's just so interesting to me, like after I gave my TED talk and I started hearing from women, I mean, all over the world and they all struggled in the exact same way in love. We have the same problems. We are having the same shared experience from love and relationship to health, to jobs, to all of the huge pieces of our lives. It doesn't matter what we're presenting to the world, where we live, what, what language we speak, how old we are. We are all going through the same things. And I think Social media makes that easy to forget because we are looking at curated photos and timelines. And look, I do it too. We all do it, right? I find a picture. I throw up a bright filter. I say, ooh, ooh, look at me. I'm sitting at Starbucks. It's a beautiful day. You know, I might not be telling people about the stress I feel at work or I'm having a fight with a friend or I'm feeling you know, not feeling good that day or whatever, like, or I'm struggling with any number of things because we all have struggles. No life is perfect. Every life is going to experience 360 degrees of joy and sadness and loss and grief and anger and all of the emotions that we are built for. So social media is hard. And if you don't have big wild love and you don't have the maturity or the groundedness, or the self-love, or ability to navigate that. And no one can navigate that all the time, because it is just constantly coming at us. It's constant. It is, it's constant. Do you think social media is warping our brains? Do you think letting go will become even harder and harder for generations after us? Well, I can tell you, this is a very oversimplified example that I will give you. <laughs> but if I and I know you will relate to this. If I click on an ad on Facebook, I am never going to be done with that ad <laughs> sure. till I drop dead. Like, so even if, for example, if I go on to um, Free People or Anthropology website, some of my favorite clothing stores, and I pick an item and I go to put it in my cart and then I go, I'm not going to do it. Because you know what? I don't want to spend the money or I don't need it or whatever. That ad, that item that I resisted in that moment will show up everywhere for me. And am I going to let go of it? Am I eventually going to buy it because it's just always in front of me? Because it won't let me let go 
right? right? That's the power of social media beyond just, you know, the retail purchases, but like, how do we let go of what we don't have when we constantly see everyone else having it? It's very hard. Especially if you're in a relationship and you just see couple after couple after wedding photo after wedding photo. I mean, it can be very daunting, the idea of going against the grain is because it's, it's being thrown at you every which way. You mentioned clothing. How often do you go through your closet and let go of things? It is so hard. If you see an old sweatshirt that you haven't worn in a long time, but gosh, you might in the next two years, it is really hard. How often do you do that? You know, it's so funny. I have a very good friend who is a professional organizer and a brilliant human being, just brilliant. And she always says to me, if you have clothes in your closet that don't fit you or you don't wear, every morning you wake up, you open that closet and you're full of regret. And that's how you start your day. Just full of regret. She says, get rid of it. Get rid of whatever. Now, do I do that? No. It's hard. (laughs) because I open my closet and I'm like, look at all you beautiful clothes. I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then I do think sometimes like when I open my closet and I look at all those clothes, what I see is how much the world has changed because I used to wake up every day and go into an office. I used to need all of those clothes, but now I, I work remotely. I don't need all of those clothes. It's, It's an adjustment. It's a logistics adjustment, but it's also a deeper adjustment than that. There's a feeling of loss and, you know, deep change. Jury's out on if that change was for the better. I don't necessarily think so personally. Um, And so it's a passing of a time of life. And I think that always brings a myriad of emotions. So I think whatever your closet look, means for you, you, you can't ignore it. You've got to at some point kind of reckon with it. And there are probably a lot of small things in our day-to-day lives that we should be letting go of. And I can't help but think that if you're good at doing these micro letting goes, I'll call them, you'd be more... Uh, equipped to let go of bigger issues. What are some of these smaller things that you notice that people really struggle with letting go of that may not register, but, oh, they're seeping in? I think we let go of things all day long and we're just not paying attention. Because when we make a choice, when we make, really, when we make a choice about anything, I mean, the million times a day I open my refrigerator and decide not to, not to eat anything because I'm not hungry. I mean, that's a letting go. I don't process it that way, but you know, we're letting go a million different ways. If, if we're angry about something or we're tempted to call somebody and, and, and not, you know, not convey it or communicate it in an appropriate way, or we're driving or we're doing anything, we're making that choice. Am I going to hold on to this and act accordingly? Or am I going to just let it go and not make that phone call? Um, so I think, I think we let go of things all the time. Um, we let go of ideas. I know that there was a, a point with a friend that I thought, if I don't call this person, what will happen? I'm going to let go of that outcome because it's always me making the plans. 
you know, so I'm, am I ready to know the answer to that question? That's a true letting go. I'm ready to know the answer to that question, which means if I stop calling, will they call? And if they don't call, what does that mean? Ooh, that's, uh, I think everybody has one of those friends where you're putting more effort in than they are. And if you stop, it will go away. That's a scary proposition, especially if you've known them a long time. And so that that's where letting go is connected to the big wild love piece. Because if you're grounded in who you are and you love and honor yourself, yeah, it might hurt if they don't call again or that's that, but you're okay. You're okay. And so I think we let go all the time when we make certain choices in our lives. I think the issue is, are we doing it with intention? Are we aware that that's what's happening and that's what we're doing? Are we just going through the motions? I know when day after day after day, I don't go to the refrigerator because I'm not hungry, that I have let go of what that refrigerator means to me. It no longer has power over me. I know to eat when I'm hungry and not eat when I'm not hungry because I am honoring my body and honoring myself. So I do, I do think we just aren't paying attention. We let go when we make choices. Where do I live? Do I live here or here? I should live here. Maybe my parents think I should live here. Maybe my parents think I should buy this house and not this house. Okay, I'm going to buy the house I want. That's a letting go. That's a letting go of that need for approval and validation in service of yourself and your own big wild love of knowing who you are and what makes you happy. And so that's not hurting anybody else. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, we're constantly letting go. So it's a process. And I think it's just waking up to it, Joe. I think it's just waking up to the fact that, you know, we, we are, we are also hardwired to let go, you know, so embrace it and take the, take notes when you're letting go, when you get to that space, when you're ready to not text or call that friend to make plans because you're afraid if you don't do it, you'll lose them. Are you ready for the answer? Are you ready to not let the refrigerator rule you? Are you ready to stand firm in who you are and tell your parents in a loving and kind way? That might be your choice, but this is mine. And that's okay. Absolutely. And I want to get your take on letting go and death. Because as I was thinking about our conversation, I thought being buried is one of the most um, prominent ways to not let go of someone, to have a, a gravestone so you can go back and see this person, quote unquote. Do you think that doing that type of thing actually goes against letting someone go? Is that, or is that part of the healing process? It seems like I can't decide whether it's beneficial to do that or whether it's hurting to do that, that you can't ever let them actually go. I think it's neither. Oh, I think however people have to process their grief and whatever they need to do that is right on. Truly, you know, the, grief is such an individual thing. And I mean, death is the one thing I don't think you ever let go of. You don't think you ever let go of someone you've lost. 
And I don't know that you should. You know, I mean, there are some things in life that we should never let go of. You know, I mean, I don't want to let go of the people that I know that have passed, who have meant something to me in my life. My goal is not to let go of them. My goal is to hold them close and to remember what they meant for me in my life and who they were and the impact they may have had. And when I feel that grief, if I need to look at a gravestone or a picture or just sit in a dark room in silence, that's all okay to me. So I think you're highlighting letting go and forgetting are different. And I think sometimes people think if I let go of something that I've completely detached from it, whereas is letting go more of... Letting go is about detachment. It is about detachment, which is why I'm saying I don't think someone that you've lost that has meant something to you in your life, I don't think you should ever have to detach from that. And I don't know that you can. You know, I don't know that that's possible. Um, I feel like death is such a whole separate and grief associated with it is something that I don't think that's something we need to let go of. I think that's something we need to learn to live with, but I will never lose an attachment to the people I've lost. And I don't want to, I always want them to be a a part of me and my life story. And I, I, there's no way to let go of that grief either because it's part of our human condition. And so I believe that when we let go of something, if we feel grief around it, we need to feel that grief. That's an important part of the experience. And so I feel like letting go is about detachment. It's not about accepting or normalizing or giving up or deferring or coping. It's about true attachment, detachment from the things that are not serving us. I don't feel like death of someone who matters to us doesn't not serve us. That was something that was really meaningful and someone in our lives who, who mattered. And I don't think it's possible to let that go. And I, even with pets, I haven't, let, I mean, I've lost three dogs. We have two now, but you know, I, we loved those dogs. I, I think about them all the time. We have pictures of them and you know, we loved them. They were an important part of our lives. So I feel like that's a whole separate area where letting go is not the goal. And I don't honestly know if it's even possible to let go. As far as relationships go, though, some are much harder to let go of than others, especially if you're in a toxic one or it's abusive physically or verbally. Letting go is is definitely an, a simplification of what needs to happen what would you recommend to someone who's in a situation like that, how to actually let go of someone when that biological instinctual fear is so high in those situations? Yeah. I mean, I think when we are struggling to let go of a toxic situation, it's more about us than them. I think it's about the shame that we feel of choosing it, of still being in it, that can keep us stuck. Maybe we've started to believe some of the bad things that we've been told or that we deserve 
the toxic relationship. It's the best we can get. There's nothing else out there for us or it's our fault. All kinds of reasons why people stay inside of that situation that are deep, that are deep. I feel like, Joe, every, every situation we're in, we bring into our lives for the most part. Obviously, you know, we, we don't choose our parents or choose awful things that might happen to us. Um, but in relationship, in terms of a bad relationship or like we've chosen it. And so the start is, why did I choose this? Why, why did I ignore signs that were there that might have showed me this is what I was choosing? What about this situation um, was appealing to me? What belief does it track back to? What childhood experience does it track back to? What do I think about myself? What do I believe I deserve in life? Why am I still here? What's the payoff for still being here? What do I get? What am I getting from it? From by still being here? Like, these are all things to journal around. These are the questions. Because what happens is once we understand all of the reasons, all of these things, then we can figure out how to start to extricate from that. And sometimes, oftentimes that requires the help of a good therapist. So if we are stuck in a truly toxic place and we want to leave, but don't know how, there is no shame in that game to go get help. You mentioned journaling, which I would imagine is one of the best ways to, you know, understand where you actually want to go and what's happening in your life. When did you start? I, mean, I would imagine you keep a journal, Jill. And do you remember when you started keeping one? Yeah, I, I go in and out of my journal. And um, I would say I started when I was, oh my God, a teenager, oh, maybe wow. a little younger, using journaling as a place to go, even if I was writing stories or writing poems or just writing random thoughts. Um, now, I really like something called the morning pages from Julia Cameron. Um, from the artist's way. I also talk about journaling in my book. It is very powerful. There is a lot of solid research around that. So it is not a woo-woo-y kind of thing. Um, and so basically her, her method is you, every morning when you wake up, you pull out a notebook and you just free write uh, three pages, three handwritten pages. And it's just, it's, it's just free form anything. You can write, I hate my shoes for three pages. But if you do it every day, what journaling does in general, whether it's this method, what I have in my book or any other way, what it does is it pulls all the muck out of your head, your consciousness, so that you can get to the subconscious. Once there's nothing, what am I going to have for lunch? I can't believe it's happening at work. What's going on with this X, Y, Z. Once there's none of that left, what starts to come out is what you really think and believe and want. And we don't access that easily every day because we're too bogged down by all of the things in our everyday brains to really be able to get to it. Um, but 
when you journal every day with consistency, you eventually run out of things to write about those everyday things. And that's when the other stuff starts coming out. Interesting. Okay. So you have to purge all of these other thoughts until you can get to the good stuff deep within. You got to stick with it. And a lot of people stop because that's hard because they start to write things that they're like, oh my God, who wrote that? And then they have to deal with it. So when, cause when you know it, then, then you have to address it. And some people just aren't ready for that. We are complicated human beings. <laughs> yes. I think you've highlighted that very, and most of the scenarios we're in are very complicated. Now I want to, I want to ask you about when you finally did let go of your relationship that you talk about in your, in your Ted talk, what was it really like after you determined what you really wanted and you stepped foot into the unknown, right? The, the dating frontier. Cause I think for so many people, it's just so scary. I, I can't even imagine doing it. Was it as scary as you really thought it was going to be? Was it, I mean, how bad was it? Or was it, were you like, Oh, I was fearing this and it turned out to be nothing. I mean, it was different when I was doing it than it is today. I will say it's probably, I mean, I was online dating, but it was not, I don't think it was, there weren't as many apps and things. Um, There were some and it was new for me and it was scary in the sense that I think it's always been like, you just want to be smart. If you're going to meet somebody, go out in a public space, like get to know them. Don't ignore red flags. Like be careful, you know, especially as a woman, like be careful. Um, but for me, it wasn't scary in the sense of, um, really much more than that because I, I, it was very freeing. Like I felt like my whole life had opened up because I was no longer living inside of a situation that offered no possibility for the future. So for me, it was more of a opening up of my world. And I also went into it knowing that I got to choose now. So it was no longer do they like me? It was, do I like them? And that was new. I also had no attachment to an outcome. I thought if I got married, if I didn't, it would be okay. Either way, I would figure out how to have a happy life, lots of ways to do it. So I I had much more of a sense of adventure and play than I ever did before when I was stuck in a long-term relationship that I knew was never going to take me where I wanted to go. Those people who have that fear of commitment, what do you think they're afraid of letting go of perceived freedom? Or I I can't wrap my head around when someone keeps saying not yet, not yet. What are they afraid of letting go of? I mean, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think everybody has their own pathology, you know, and um, it's interesting. I, I can't answer that for other people. I have had some men respond to my TED talk very interestingly, um, where they would come back and say, Oh my God, I'm Hector. Where they had the revelation that they were the, the male in this situation. And I, I love that because, um, I want to hug them when I, when they write to me and say that, because I feel like that awareness, um, is amazing because if you are, if you don't want certain things in life, whether it's getting married or anything, but you have someone else 
with you who does want those things and you're impacting their life, it's not your job to make other people's life choices. Okay. But, but there is some responsibility and accountability just in being a good person to say, I don't want this and being clear about it. And then, yes, it's on the other person to decide, okay, I have all the information I need to now make a decision. And if I choose to stay, then I know what I'm getting myself into. But um, I do think it's really important to be aware and to find people who want to share, want shared goals. There's no judgment if you don't want to get married. If you don't want those things, that's okay. I mean, not everybody has to want the same thing. But I think we do have to be mindful when we're in certain situations, if somebody wants something and the other person doesn't, that we just need to be really honest and really clear about that and, um, and be thoughtful. Why doesn't someone want what I, what I want? I mean, there could be any number of reasons, any number of reasons. Childhood experience, belief system, trauma, um, expectations, um, life goals, just there's any number of reasons, but I, but I really never wanted to make someone wrong for not wanting what I did. It wasn't about that. It was about being honest and true about it. But really, Joe, at the end of the day, like my story in my relationship was really less about him and way more about me not making the choices I should have made on my own behalf, not, not doing that because I didn't have big wild love. That was never his fault. It never at the end of the day, all of the things that we want, getting them is up to us. And we're going to come across people and situations in our life that are going to challenge us, but we always have the choice to choose whether to hold on or let go and which choice we make in, in service of ourselves comes down to how much we love and understand ourselves comes down to what we believe is true and possible for ourselves. And that's what gives us the courage to be bold. Loving and understanding ourselves gives us the safety to be bold and that's really at the end of the day, what it's all about. And that's really my message to women and men and the world, which is if you can find that inside of yourself, you'll always be okay. You will always be able to let go because you will be able to make choices knowing that no matter what happens, you will always be okay because you have yourself. And then letting go becomes a lot less fearful, a lot less scary. Absolutely. And Jill, if, if folks want to learn more about how to let go, I imagine they can get your book, Big Wild Love, anywhere books are sold. That's it. Yes. Other resources available, uh, social media, stuff like that they could. Yeah, they can follow me on Let Go For It on Facebook and Instagram and my website where I have some free resources on the website, which is letgoforit.com. Um, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jill, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, so fun. Thank you for inviting me. I love the idea of your podcast and I look forward to listening. 